0: Well, hello and welcome to Crusher Talk with your friend, Haley Crusher Kane. Welcome to another issue, another edition, another day. Um, Let's get into it. Craveworthy. There were several things I made this week. I was feeling very inspired. There are definitely some weeks where I just can't even think about making a sandwich and I groan at the idea of like making a spaghetti dinner because cooking just does not seem exciting and those are just... You know it's kind of rare, but they do happen. They happen to all of us. This past two weeks was not that. I feel like I made a lot of really interesting things. Um, if you can hear that clicking in the background, that's Peanut trying valiant valiantly to jump up onto a chair of which her legs are way too short. Sorry, Peanut, you tried. Um, I made several delicious things. I'm going to share them with you. I will try to include recipes, but some of this stuff is just kind of out there. The first thing I did was okay, so there's this thing on TikTok. It's like TikTok salad trends. I know this is stupid, but this is like a new trend where there's all these salad recipes, and the whole concept is that you're making everything from scratch, including the dressing. And a lot of times I've noticed with these salad recipes, it's about cutting the ingredients very small, very uniformly. I'm not good at cutting things very small. In fact, I cut open my finger creating this particular salad I'm going to tell you about, which is this classic TikTok green goddess salad that requires cabbage, it requires um, green onion, chives, a very delicious green goddess sauce. If you've ever had green goddess sauce, oh, you got to make it from scratch. Just lemon, garlic, olive oil, um, tons of herbs, fresh basil, so good. Um, But I actually cut my finger open um, while trying to cut all these ingredients super small. That said, cutting the ingredients super small is really good. And this Green Goddess salad I made was absolutely delicious because the bulk of the um, base of it is cabbage. It really kept very well, and I highly recommend it. It was just so filling, so good. I can't even remember what I served it with because in my mind, thinking back to the salad, which wasn't that long ago, all I can remember is the salad itself. The other great part about this is if you make the dressing, you can definitely save it. Um, It also has, the dressing also has um, cashews in it. Um, It calls for any kind of nut. I think I used um, just like plain cashews, unsalted, unroasted. So it has sort of a body to it, which is kind of nice, which is great for spreading this green goddess on avocado toast um, with your eggs. I mean, you can really apply it to so many different, situations. It's not this like drippy goopy dressing. It's a little bit more like a spread. So at least that's how I made it. Um, So anyways, that was the first thing I made that I was like, "Um, hello, I've never made this before. This was so good. Um, It seems very simple, but it's deceptively simple in that it's perfect. It's crunchy. It's fresh. It's amazing. The second thing I made was um, I did poke bowls this week. I've already talked about poke bowls before. I think that's basically just seafood, like raw seafood with a bed of rice. And I do a lot of different accouchement with it. Um, for this poke bowl, it, was, it wasn't really anything unusual. Um, I just bought too much salmon. So after the poke bowl night, I was like, what am I gonna do with this extra salmon? It was expensive. So I made something off the top of my head and it was so good, you guys. Basically, I had a can of chickpeas. This was like, was like a lunch I made for myself and I wanted to replicate it the next day. So take a can of chickpeas. Um, dump it into a sheet pan with olive oil. I used my chicken 65 spice, which is essentially a curry spice. So any sort of Middle Eastern curry spice, just coat the crap out of those chickpeas, really toss them in the olive oil, put them in an oven at 400 degrees um, and let them crisp. Now, at the same time, you're going to prep your um, salmon, which is very easy to do. You're going to put it skin side down, little salt and pepper, olive oil on top, throw that sucker into the oven. That's it. That's all you do with the salmon. It's all you need to do. Um, And the salmon basically took, I think it was a little bit thicker of a piece. So it took about 10 minutes. And the chickpeas are really as crispy as you want to go. By the time the salmon was done, the chickpeas were just way crispy, good to go. You could probably go crispier if you wanted But they had this gorgeous red color because of the curry. So you have this beautiful red, crispy chickpeas that are crunchy on the outside, really flavorful with a kick, with a kind of a curry spice kick. And they're super creamy on the inside. When just hot from the oven, a chickpea is so underrated. Um, I had arugula. Toss that arugula in the leftover green goddess dressing, you guys. Threw that on a plate. Then put my, so I had my bright green um, arugula, put my chickpeas on top of the bright green arugula. Mm, so good already. Added the salmon on top of that. Oh my God. Squeeze of lemon on everything. This was like unreal how good it was. And I didn't even buy wild salmon. I bought the farmed stuff. So this is your, this is your signal to make yourself a seafood lunch if you can. I know that sounds very privileged, but believe me, it is not because I'm fancy. It's because I am self-employed which comes with its own host of problems. Okay, the third thing I made over the past week and a half, oh my gosh, this was such a hit. Dr. Kane loved it. A little sip of coffee here. I made, I don't even know what got into me and why I wanted to make this, but I think it's because I have this um, sheet pan book that's everything in one sheet pan. And one of the recipes is for a puff pastry pesto chicken um, sort of like hand pie And I didn't want to do pesto chicken. I felt like with the Green Goddess and I've been doing a lot of pesto-y things, I thought, you know what? I'm going to make a wine-based kind of beefy, um, uh, garlicky, Worcestershire sauce, kind of steak night, um, mushroom vibe filling to go inside this puff pastry. A little, little bit like a beef Wellington vibe, but like a hand pie. And I was able. I was very pleased with myself because I have been using recipes a lot lately. I've been like really enjoying using other people's recipes. However, I made beef ragu recently, and it just did not hit. It. it I just didn't love the way it was seasoned. I don't know. I just felt like the recipe let me down. So this time I was like, I'm going to make this myself. I went to the store. I made it as simple as possible. I got some ground chuck. Um, threw that in. Um, no, yeah, threw that in a pan first. Um, cooked it in um, a large. Um, kind of Dutch oven pot, cooked it until it was browned, and it was just the pink center had kind of gone away. Then I put it on a plate in that beef juice. I put half an onion, just chopped up nice and fine. Got that onion nice and caramelized. Then I added um, a clove of garlic until it was fragrant. Turned down the heat and then added mushrooms, and I just let those mushrooms simmer for a long time with the beef juice, with the the onion and the garlic. Kind of just let it get soft because I figured it's all going in the oven anyways. And these mushrooms don't have to be browned. So um, they kind of soaked up the delicious juices. Then after I had that, I just sprinkled a bit of um, salt and pepper, obviously. I put that on there after the onions or the mushrooms were ready. Um, then I put a sprinkle, maybe like a tablespoon of flour and just sprinkled it over. And then maybe, I think I went up to like three tablespoons of flour. Just, you can kind of eyeball it, to thicken it. And the thing is, what you want to do is allow the um, flour to kind of toast. And this is going to give you a really great body for like a stew or like a filling without it being like gummy. So, um, actually, and before I put the flour in, let me just (laughs) add one more thing, just to be annoying. I put in about a tablespoon of, um, tomato paste, which was really nice and added like a nice deep flavor to everything and a little bit of Worcestershire sauce. That's what I did. Okay. After that, I put the, um, the flour in. I let it sort of toast and kind of clump up. You want it to become sort of like a clumpy, you know, no liquid left basically um, in your situation here. So it's kind of like a clumpy balls of meat and and um, mushroom and onion and all. And it's going to look brown, brownish red probably because there's a little bit of tomato paste in there and let it kind of toast a bit. And once that happens, you're going to um, heat the pan up nice and hot and you're going to put in some uh just a bit like a fourth of a cup of fruit forward red wine and about a fourth of a cup of um maybe even a little less than a fourth of a cup of broth beef broth chicken broth chicken stock veggie broth whatever you got it's basically you're just creating now that we have this the bulk of the the the, the food that's going to be in this filling we need it to have a little bit more of like um like a coating to it a nice coating thick coating. So once all that liquid's in there, you're going to give everything a nice stir and it's all going to just become this glossy, um, just very delicious, like put a spoon in it with a nice, you know, it's got a nice coating to it. It's got a nice like sumptuous texture to it. And you're going to kind of let that um, sit until it doesn't taste like wine anymore and just tastes like fruit, which I don't know. I think it took me like, I don't know, 15, 10 minutes or something of letting it kind of sit on a simmer and letting it really become this glossy, thick, sumptuous sauce because you, you don't really want it to be liquidy. You want it to have a nice thickness to it, and the the flour really helps with that. So anyways, once that was ready to go and it was this nice kind of thick this filling, I um, took out the phyllo dough, uh, phyllo dough, whatever puff pastry you want to call it, that um, Had been sitting in the in the fridge overnight, defrosting. Put it on the counter with some a little bit of flour and just plopped those suckers right in there. Just took a couple tablespoons at a time of this meaty, mushroomy, um, saucy mixture. Threw it into my puff pastry. Put another puff pastry on top, and then used a fork to close the puff pastry up. Did not do a great job of that. It did open up a bit, so be careful with this. I do not work with puff pastry enough to know this, but really get your knife in there and then. You're going to want to use an egg wash on the top, but I didn't have egg at the time, so I just used butter. It also worked great. Oven at 400. You already know the filling is cooked all the way through pretty much, so all you have to do is – oh, I added some peas at the end, by the way. Um, Peas, you don't want them to get mushy and they're frozen anyway, so you want to just pop them in at the end before you're about to put them into the puff pastry. Anyways, after that, threw in the oven until they got brown. Like, I was like, are these brown? And once the puff pastry feels like it's something you want to eat, like it's got a little bit of goldenness on it, a little bit of brown on it, brownest flavor, then you just take them out and let them wait for them to cool. These were so good for dinner, and they were so, so good after – you know, a couple days later as like a second breakfast, Dr. Kane took them to work several times. I just bought some ingredients to make breakfast versions of these to be continued how that turns out. But it just goes to show sometimes you can whip something up and you don't even know you can. And I just applied the things that I know about making like a stew or like making a kind of like a stewed meat and threw that into a puff pastry and it was outrageously good. So This just goes to show you can and you should do this. Also, I just remembered I also put carrots into the filling. It doesn't really matter, though, because you could put anything. I put carrots and celery, now that I remember. But you could put anything in the filling. You could do peppers. You could do um, potatoes, like a nice potato pea. Throw some curry spice in there, and then suddenly it's like a samosa kind of style. You could do so many different things with this. I loved it. I thought it was so good. Um, So those are my things. Those are the things I made that were delicious. I just had a really good week of food, I have to say. Crusher vs. Headlines Dr. Kane has gone rogue and created a t-shirt inspired by Stone Cold Steve Austin or as I like to call him Cold Stone Steve Austin because he loves ice cream Um, we have a really funny Skull uh, Crusher 316 uh, shirt that is being made as we speak including stickers which are already in my possession woohoo we were out of stickers and t-shirts. Um, if you are not a Stone Cold Steve Austin fan, which I I just missed that whole boat. I totally understand Hulk, Hulk Hogan. I come from that school of Hulk Hogan is the one I was looking at, maybe because there was a reality show about Hulk Hogan and the Hogans, and it was sort of a spinoff of the Osbournes in the early 2000s. I don't know. I don't know much about wrestling. All I know is a few of these wrestlers. But anyways, if you are a big fan of Stone Cold, which Dr. Kane is, you will enjoy this kind of inside joke, wink, wink. And there's already been several people that have messaged me like, how many are you guys making? I need to get one. So I will answer this right now. We have about 50 of these t-shirts being made. We are very, very, very aware that only a small sector of the Crusherverse is going to want one. However, we did ask you guys on social media, what color to do. And we just decided to do the white with the pink glasses. So everyone can rejoice knowing that the white one is the one being made versus the pink skull. Um, Everybody seemed to like the white skull, so we went ahead and did that, and those will be available soon. So um, if you want to be alerted to when these t-shirts go live, the best thing to do is to sign up for our monthly newsletter, which I'm sure you already are, but this is going to be something I drop in the newsletter like before it goes on Bandcamp, so you'll know exactly what time they go up on Bandcamp. Um, okay, moving on. We played a really great show with the Dolly Roths at the Sanctuary, also with the Von Tramps. I can't remember if I told you guys about this. Did I? Um, But there were blow-up sharks, and it was hilarious. It was a really good show. It was a lot of great people. If you came out, thank you so much. I feel like we made a ton of new friends just at that one event, and it was really heartening to just see so many Punk rock dads and their cool daughters, which is our demographic, 100%. So thank you guys if you came out. Um, Our next show, I'm not sure if I told you guys this yet either, but we are playing Motor City Pride, which is the big Pride event in Detroit. We are so honored to be asked to play Pride. It's one of those bucket list things. We've done, you know, um, fundraisers for local queer groups. We've done some stuff with drag queens. And um, this is just like a natural progression of what we want to do. We definitely want to uplift marginalized, cool people who are celebrating their lives, living in a joyful way, expressing themselves out in public, fighting for the rights of everybody to, you know, enjoy, love, life, liberty, and all those good things. So it's going to be a really fun event. It's June 10th and there'll be more information rolling out about that soon. We don't have a ton of events coming up um, soon, which is all as well because we actually are in need of a new percussionist. We love our drummer, Brendan. He has been amazing and he's been such a positive force within the band and has helped us in so many ways. And he's just been like a really positive and just funny, sweet, Uh, presence in this band Um, but as everybody knows the crushers are not the crushers if we don't have a revolving door and we really are just on that revolving door track right now um so we are looking for a new percussionist and somebody who can uh tour somebody who wants to be part of a ragtag group of wackos who like to listen to 90s country and 80s pop music in the van uh, with a small dog as a tour manager. So if any of that sounds good to you, email our tour manager. That's peanut at, no, Um, (laughs) just you know how to reach me. Let me know. I've been asking around. There's so many um, artists and people in this city that I know that, you know, we're going to find our next um, collaborator, and we're excited about that. Um, okay. What's next? Um, I've been really enjoying a new podcast lately. It's called the Jomo podcast. If you're unfamiliar with the term Jomo, it's an awesome term. The minute I heard about it, I mean, this is kind of a culturally, you know, passe thing. Everybody already knows what it is, but if you don't know, it will change your mind. Like now that I know what Jomo is, I never have FOMO. So Jomo is the joy of missing out. Um, In the mid-2000s, a lot of us had issues with FOMO because that was the rise, 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 rise of things like Instagram. Facebook was just out of control. Everyone and their mom was suddenly on Facebook, and it really felt like everyone was doing something better and cooler and more fun. And everyone was hotter than you. And everybody was like having a better vacation than you, blah, blah, blah. And we needed something called Jomo because we needed to have a way to own the joy of missing out on the wrong things. And by the wrong things, that means comparison, compare and despair, um, doing things that don't serve you, doing things that don't, don't align with you. Um, overworking, spending money in ways that you don't actually want to spend money. I mean, how many of us really want to spend um, that much money on, you know, constant new hand designer handbags and cars and vacations? I mean, I don't care about any of that stuff, but it does signal prosperity, happiness and wealth on Instagram, whatever, on social media, whatever your TikTok or whatever your, your poison is. There's a lot of ways that you can get yourself into a pretzel thinking about how you're missing out on everything, and everyone is so great. Now, Jomo is so needed. It's exactly what it sounds like the joy of missing out. And there is a podcast about it. I had no idea there was a Jomo podcast. I've only listened to about three episodes so far. And the one thing I find so funny about the Jomo podcast is so many of the interviews that I've listened to already are like people that are very involved in tech. Which I I guess makes sense because if you are invested in Jomo, if you have a need for Jomo in your life, you probably are very online and most of us have to be very online for our jobs or to push out our artistic endeavors or whatever, to be visible in this modern world, quote unquote, modern world. Like we all kind of have to be in this town square. This is the new town square. Um, but it's just funny, like the people they're like, he, um, they interviewed the, um, owner of freedom, uh, freedom app, which is an app that blocks internet and podcasts, uh, or not podcasts, internet, social media. Actually, you can use it to block podcasts, basically whatever you can tailor it to block whatever you think is not serving you and just like distracting you, or you can just use it to block the internet. Um, I think it's a great podcast. It's something I would recommend if you feel like you need or want to hear about these discussions. And I've always felt this, that there's this hole in the discussion about internet usage where there is this black and white thinking of like people saying, Oh, just delete your app for a while. Oh, just don't post for six months. Now that is something that normal people can do. But if you have a band, if you are in marketing, if you have any sort of job that requires you to have public visibility Um, or to be, you know, relevant in the modern world, quote unquote, you have to be on social media, at least contributing. It's the equivalent of not being on the golf course when the decisions are being made, when the deals are being made, not going to the happy hour where the the people are. Like, it's very important that we still have these spaces that we can all come together and share and collaborate on ideas and see what everyone's up to and make connections. I mean, connectivity is one of the great things about social media. So, um, if I feel like there's been this hole where it's like, oh, just like delete social media forever or like, just don't have it. And it's like, well, that's not really a thing that a lot of us can do, especially those of us in the arts. And I just feel like this podcast really scratches that itch for me and really is thoughtful and talks a lot about like these specific issues and challenges. And more and more and more, these challenges are not just relegated to those that are really in the tech sphere or the people that are just making money on Twitter or YouTube. And like, that's their livelihood. It's really coming for all of us. So, um, I really recommend that podcast. I think it's a nice breath of fresh air. Um, what else can I talk about? Oh, the Ezra Klein show has a great podcast about AI. Um, I know I've talked a lot about how AI is freaky and scary and horrible. There are two podcasts. Um, that's like a two parter, where Ezra, and uh, who's a New York Times writer, um, talks with um, an expert in the field about AI in really practical ways that are less scary and reactive and reductive and knee-jerk than a lot of the other articles and podcasts and things like that. So it's basically talking about how we can prepare for AI as a culture. Um, it is a very much a warning. You know, I mean, this is something, a Pandora's box, where you are not going to get this back into the, the box. This powerful AI technology is going to completely radically change our world um, in ways that even the experts at the finest think tanks cannot even comprehend how it's going to change the world. So yes, we all need to be prepared. As somebody who works in marketing and copywriting, I, of all people... <laughs> I'm the first to say AI is going to replace my job. Um, It's also going to maybe be helpful and create a second brain of which I can use to reach to when I need to synthesize ideas. Not unlike what happened when we all got the internet in our pockets, by the way, let me just say, there was a lot of hemming and hawing and groaning about the fact that we had outsourced our memories, our calendars. Um, Our, you know, photo albums, our knowledge, our, you know, basically our short-term and long-term memory suddenly became, you know, the property of our iPhones, our smartphones. And there was a lot of groaning about that. And we finally got to this point where we said, you know what, the positives outweigh the negatives. And yes, this is like a tiny little second brain in my pocket I'm going to be a cyborg from now on. If I'm in a conversation at a cocktail party and someone talks about something that I know is not true, I'm going to go and Wikipedia it and I can do that and it's going to make the conversation awkward, but I can do that and I will do that. This is my second brain. That that we have basically gotten to a society where that's normal and not anything scary. But at the time when this was happening, there was a lot of fear around it. There was a lot of fear around having things in the cloud. Obviously, these are all different than AI. AI is a, such a multifaceted thing, but we're always moving forward. We're always hurtling towards the next, you know, summit of humanity, and there's no going back. So I really enjoyed this two-part series um, podcast series that um, Ezra Klein did on his show, and I'm going to link that. I just felt it was the balm that I needed for <laughs> how incredibly freaked out I was over the past month or two um the last thing i want to talk about which are not last but second to last is um i went to the whitney which is um on woodward boulevard in detroit it's something i've passed by in the van a million times i've wanted to go and dr kane and i were downtown for flea troy which is a big flea market celebration at the majestic theater which by the way is a beautiful awesome theater i had the pleasure of seeing um the you're wrong about podcast live show there. Um, last week, I guess it was. And, um, that was my first time at the, actually at the majestic theater, um, which is right next to garden bowl, another iconic place. Um, and so I, we, we got into the fleet, Troy, we we're like buying vintage stuff, whatever. And we were walking back to the van and I was like, Oh my gosh, that's the Whitney. I've been wanting to go check this out forever. They're probably closed. It was a Sunday. They were not closed. And the Whitney is just an incredible, just historic site in Detroit. It is basically a, it was a private residence that looks like a castle that is now the most fancy restaurant you could ever imagine. Um, if you're familiar with the Madonna Inn, which I've talked about in the past, that's like my bar. Like Madonna Inn is like my my place. It's, it's walking distance from my house in California. It's the pink palace, kitschy pink palace that's sort of, based loosely i say very loosely on sort of like european and swiss um architectural ideas um leaning a lot more into like the kitschy storybook side of things versus what the whitney is which is essentially it is adorned like a french palace i'm not kidding um in fact i'm gonna tell you a little bit about the whitney because i feel like um I just can't. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to ramble and I just want to tell you. The Whitney Mansion is world famous for upscale dining in Detroit. Completed in 1894, the Motor City landmark retains the exquisite charm of Detroit's early upper echelon as a venue for all to enjoy. The Whitney now provides several unique features within the historical property. The fine dining restaurant, um, menu dining throughout the mansion. Yes, you can eat in like every room of the mansion. And it, it feels like a mansion. Um, the Ghost Bar, which is upstairs, and the gardens, which are unreal. Um, Each has its own unique appeal that guests come specifically to enjoy and sometimes find themselves wandering, spending hours frolicking in the enchantments of the estate. Wow. Good copywriting, guys. That's great. Um, We were just like wandering through this incredible stained glass, um, uh, architecturally, uh, I mean... The this the ceilings alone were like this like if you didn't look up, you would be so sad because the ceilings alone were like worth going into this place. They had antique French silk wall paper, basically, or like fabric on the walls. Um painted fresco type situations that is like sort of cathedral-esque throughout this place. Um Just unreal. I mean, every part of the stonework on the exterior of the house was hand done, custom made, and every wooden piece that you look at and touch and see and feel inside was hand carved. um, Very intricate. You could tell every banister, um, every little corner of this mansion had been completely thought about. And I just love going into spaces like that because it's like you're walking into somebody's mind into like their sense of style and their sense of I don't know it's like walking into a living art piece um if you live in the Detroit area and you have never been to the Whitney highly recommend going um although I felt so awkward being in there because I was not appropriately dressed and neither was Dr. Kane cuz like even the staff was like looked like penguins you know they're all running around in their fancy like white and black you know outfits And um, they were really kind, though. They're like, go ahead. You can just, like, check things out. So we're just, like, snooping around the little fireplaces and all the rooms and going up the stairs and hanging out at the bar and looking at the windows. And I just love it when there's that ability to just casually meander without having to do a tour, like an official tour. Although I know they do do tours because we we passed one. Um, The best part about this experience I think is so funny is in the bathroom, which was very fancy, um, there was a framed image of that bathroom hanging in the bathroom, which like kind of blew my mind and made me realize like that's the fanciest thing ever. Like if you can frame a photo of your bathroom and put it in your bathroom and it works, you're fancy. Congratulations. Hats off to you, sir. You are a fancy, fancy person. Um, I wish I knew more about the actual owner, and as I'm looking at this bio and all this information, I don't really want to get into it on this episode. However, I'll just let you go down that rabbit hole if you're interested in checking out the Whitney. Um, 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 what else? What else? Um, sparkle of the Week. Um, sparkle of the Week goes to my friend Heather, who so kindly picked me up for yoga last night, which was so nice. I did not have the van because Dr. Kane was at a soccer game, and um, although... I don't think it it wasn't like the longest drive to come get me. I still very much appreciate it. And I feel like as a newbie to the area and just like meeting people for the first time um, and just becoming friends with people slowly, those little, you know, gestures, like the gestures that aren't even really gestures when you're just friends with someone like – I would never think twice about my friends back home in California, just picking me up to do something. But when you are a newbie and you're trying to transplant your roots somewhere else, every little thing like that just really feels so just welcoming and sweet. And so it was incredibly nice to like, just this is actually the first time since I've moved here that a friend has picked me up. I realized, or no second time Um, I've been picked up from my house and it was just really nice. You know, I, I don't have my own car right now. So um, transportation has been kind of kind of a bitch for me. I've been taking the bus quite a bit still. And that's been an adventure. I'm getting a lot better at taking the bus. And I'm actually grateful for the fact that I have to walk because I'm just learning so much about the city. And I'm seeing so much more. I'm really interacting with my neighbors and, like, getting out into the world. And that's one of those things that I always sort of missed in California. But it's so hard to kind of break the habit of just driving two blocks and here, you know, I'm constantly walking 10,000 or more steps a day, just like walking down to the store. Like I just walked down to my gym. It was closed. So I went to the market and picked up some stuff or some breakfast pastries that I'm going to make. And it was like nice. I got to go see my barista. I got to go say hi. I got to um, talk to my, my friends at the market who work there. And like, I don't know, I'm I'm in a good place, but it's still nice to have a homie come pick you up. It's a wonderful thing. Um, Lastly, for my thought of the week, um, I'm going to say don't believe everything you think. Um, I've been journaling a lot lately, and this has come up a lot to me because I think sometimes um, for people that have overactive imaginations, minds, anxieties, basically anybody who's a thinking, conscious, living, breathing human on this planet, Um. We always can find things to fixate on. And a lot of times it's our brain that's doing that, not who we truly are underneath everything. And if you really think closely at some of your, the things that your brain is spinning, you realize, oh, this is literally just like a butterfly that's landed on this one particular area anxiety or issue for this flavor of the week. And it's going to go away next week. So don't believe everything that you're, that you think, and don't believe everything that your brain tells you, um, because you ultimately have control and yeah, you can direct your brain or you can just say, thank you, brain. I know that you are, um, a big mass of electronic, electronic (laughs) electrical pulses and gray matter and whatnot, magic puppy dog tails and snails, whatever, you know, that is trying to keep me safe. And you were created billions of years ago, and you're just trying to do your job. And you can just be like, you're just trying to do your job, man. Thank you for doing your job. But you don't have to buy too much into what that job is. Hopefully that makes sense for you. That's all I have for you this week. Um, I hope that you're sparkling hard and um, I will see you soon. Okay, ta-ta.